Hello, and welcome back to AOPA's Pilot Information Center podcast series. Our topic for this episode is the Basic Med Program, an alternative to FAA aeromedical certification. I'm Ferdy Mack with AOPA's Pilot Information Center. Thanks for joining us. This episode is brought to you by the Pilot Information Center. If you have any general aviation questions, or perhaps a specific question on Basic Med, or for that matter, medical certification or AOPA online product support, how to learn to fly, you name it, you can contact us with your questions at 800-872-2672. That's 800-USA-AOPA. Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can also email us your questions at pilotassist at aopa.org. Joining me today via Skype is Gary Crump. Gary is AOPA's Director of Medical Certification here in our Pilot Information Center. Welcome, Gary. Hey, Ferdy. Thanks. Glad, glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Let's uh, let's let's dive in. So it's been about a year since we uh, we treated Basic Med on a podcast or webinar, and at that time, uh, the the uh, the rules had had basically been finalized with with some minor details uh, that that shook out, but it wasn't time yet. So in last March, when we when we had this discussion, we were saying things like. You know, hold off. The doctor's form isn't finalized. The program hasn't started. I believe that was April 27th Correct. of, of uh, 2017 that, uh, that uh, the first airman was able to take advantage of basic med. And now not only is it time and the program is, is, uh, is happening, but uh, it's been about a year. So uh, besides explaining a little bit about the basics, for lack of a better expression of basic med, uh, we wanted to take this opportunity to try to basically provide an update with uh, the lessons learned so far. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a good synopsis. Okay, so uh, the uh, the the governing document is an FAA advisory circular that, if you're not as a pilot already familiar with, and you're interested in learning more about basic med and finding out if it works for you or how to how to get started with it, you're going to want to go out on the internet and find the FAA advisory circular. It's number 68-1A. So if you go to your favorite search engine and just type in AC and then 68-1A, that should, uh, that should lead you to, uh, to the document that uh, explains a lot of what we'll be talking about today. So, uh, Gary, do you want to start us out with... Uh, uh, you know how how I can plug basic med into my uh, my piloting. You know what do I have to do? Sure. Um, just to start things off a little bit, we still are getting an awful lot of calls, and I'll I'll preface everything by saying uh, we are still in the learning process, and uh, no legislation that results in a rulemaking is absolutely goof proof or fail safe. So we have uh, we've learned a lot in the last year. We're 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 learning that uh, pilots are pretty creative. And uh, we all kind of have our own interpretations about what the rule says, but uh, for the most part, uh, we've had a you know we've had a pretty good run with it so far. But we're still running across some some areas of uh, interpretation that we're actually in consultation with the FAA uh, Office of Aerospace Medicine and particularly Office of uh, Chief Counsel for the FAA to uh, get some interpretations to some of the scenarios that we have come up with. So uh, we have most of the answers, but not all of them. But uh, one of the things that still is a source for some confusion or lack of understanding among the, the pilot community is that basic med replaced the third-class medical. 
and that's not the case. The third-class medical is still alive and well. Obviously, there are a number of pilots who fly aircraft that don't qualify for basic med that will still still need to maintain at least a third-class medical. So third-class is still there. We still have a three-medical certification class in the uh, U.S., the FAA is different in uh, in many in some respects from other countries in that we actually do have three classes of medicals. Most other ICAO countries only have two classes of medicals: one for commercial operations and one for everything else. But we have that um, that kind of confusing second class medical that uh, is allowed for certain commercial operations. So there's some confusion about that. But we still have three classes of medicals plus now the alternative medical qualification pathway and uh, our friend and senior attorney here in our legal services plan jared allen would would be quick to point out that uh, basic med is a qualification process whereas getting a third class medical or any class of medical is a certification process so there's a distinction between qualifications and certification but so much for uh, kind of in the weed stuff if you want to go to basic med and you have never held a medical certificate before you can't get there from here you have to go through the medical certification process at least one time and have held an faa medical certificate of any class at least since july 15th of 2006. the uh, legislation that was crafted by the congress put that 10 year it's called a 10-year look back period but uh, basically, it says that you must have held a medical certificate that was valid any time after July 15th of 2006. So if you've never held a medical, you've got to go through the process and get a medical certificate one time. From that point on, you can go out and um, assuming you hold a valid U.S. driver's license, not to confuse this with the sport pilot regulation, which requires a driver's license, but basic med qualifications includes the possession of a valid U.S. driver's license. So you have to have held a driver's or have uh, have a driver's license and have held a medical since uh, 2006. Then you can go out and assuming that your most recent medical has not been denied, suspended, or revoked. That's one of the other little gotchas there. But we'll talk about those here a little bit further down the road. But uh, you download the information. Um, in fact, the best way to do it is just go out to our website. We have the kind of the one-stop shop for basic med. So if you just go out to AOPA.org, click on the basic med link up at the top of that page, that will take you to our Fit to Fly resources section. And from there, you can access everything that you need to do and obtain and understand about the basic med certification, basic, pardon me, basic med qualification, not certification. So, uh, Ferdy, are we on the right track here? You want to just press on here and get get a little bit more into the weeds? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I think I think that we did a good job there of, of detailing how uh, basic med could work for you. As you mentioned, uh, valid U.S. driver's license, have to have held a medical certificate at any point after July 14th, so starting with July 15th, 2006. Um, then as part of the advisory circular, there's what we call the CMEC. That's the Comprehensive Medical Examination Checklist. And that's in one of the appendices, and uh, there are a couple parts to that. Uh, there's a part that you fill out as the pilot, as the applicant, answering your health questions and basic demographics. And then uh, then you would take that form to your state licensed physician and have them complete the exam and fill out the form indicating uh, what was uh, covered in the exam. And then finally, uh, once the paperwork is done at that point, you'd go online to our website, 
Uh, you'd take the online basic med online medical education course, and at the end of that course, you'd uh, fill in the relevant information uh, that you'd transfer from the checklist that you, the paper checklist that you had filled out by the physician, as far as who the doctor was that performed the exam, the date, their their state license number, etc. And when you hit submit, uh, you're done, right? That's it. That's pretty much it. A uh, little uh, little fluff in there in, in the process, but I want to go back to the uh, the, CM, the CMEC, the Medical Examination Checklist, because when you when you download the forms, the two part forms, actually you're going to download a nine page document which includes the instructions for completing both the CMEC Section Two, which is the pilot examination of the checklist form and then the actual exam form that is signed off by the physician that does your exam. When you look at the exam checklist, section two, you probably, if you've done a, uh, done a medical application before, you may look at that form and say, wow, this looks vaguely familiar. <laughs> well, actually, it, it, it is very familiar because it actually is almost identical to the 8500-8, or what we call the MedExpress online medical application now that uh, all of us have been uh, very familiar with over the years, uh, those of us who have applied for medical certificates periodically. The FAA, when they were charged with writing the rule, decided not to make too much extra work for themselves and come up with a new form, so they just took the existing 8500-8, got it approved through Office of Management and Budget, and gave it a new form number to coincide with the Part 68 basic med regulations, and it really is I say it's virtually identical for all practical purposes. It's the same form that we would be filling out if we were going into the process of applying for a medical certificate via the medical application process, going to an AME, and actually being issued a regular medical certificate. But you don't do that, obviously, with basic med, and that's one of the one of the points of, of some confusion is that uh, there's still you know some some association between basic med qualifications and a third-class medical certification. But they're two parallel tracks. They don't really intersect anywhere along the way. They're two parallel, totally independent processes to meet certain qualifications and or and certifications, again, depending upon whether or not you're doing basic med or a third-class medical. So the form is going to look real familiar to you, so uh, you won't see any big surprises there. The key to understand uh, about the examination checklist and the form that's signed by the doctor is those forms don't go anywhere. They come back to you after the doctor signs the form, and those are two of the three documents that are required to be retained by the pilot. The rule says in your logbook, but they can be retained anywhere in a safe place and made available to the FAA upon request. So that's one of the, the, the nice things about basic med is that the FAA Office of Aerospace Medicine is not involved in the in the decision-making process like it would be done if you were applying for a medical certificate. So once the examination is done, your doctor signs off the forms, then you take that information and go on and complete the medical self-assessment course. Also, you, uh, you can find that right on the um, Fit to Fly resources page of the website. And then um, once you've done that and you've printed out your course completion certificate, then if you haven't flown for a while, it's just a matter of going out and uh, meeting the recency of experience requirements, so getting a, a biannual flight review and whatever additional uh, checkout need to fly one of the airplanes that's covered under basic med, and uh, you're good to go. That was actually a good segue. Uh, while we're there, let's, uh, let's cover 
what is a, a covered aircraft? What can I fly under basic med? So, uh, you know, the first thing is uh, we're looking at aircraft that, uh, unfortunately, there are a couple different ways to say this, but uh, we're looking at air, aircraft that typically uh, have no more than six seats or and or fly with no more than five passengers. Point being flight crew of one, pilot, you, plus five more people. You can't have an airplane that has more seats than that with one uh, small caveat, basically, right? That's it. Yeah. That's correct. Um, and that, that small caveat is, uh, is something that's being looked at right now, and that's related to the uh, the Saratoga, Lance, Seneca variants that in some cases may come from the factory with a provision for a seventh seat. Uh, that's still being looked at. Uh, stand by on that topic uh, we should uh, we should have more information on that later in the year, hopefully. But uh, right now, if that airplane is is provisioned with a seventh seat, it uh, it does not work for basic med. Uh, also, uh, aircraft with a maximum certificated takeoff weight of no more than six thousand pounds. Notice, by the way, I'm using the word aircraft, not airplane, and that's on purpose. The uh, the way the the rule is written, it it talks about aircraft. We're not relegated to just airplanes. Uh, flights within the United States uh, at an indicated airspeed of 250 knots or less at an altitude at or below 18,000 feet MSL. So uh, no Class A operation. Uh, VFR, IFR, day and night are fine, but uh, but we, we, we couldn't operate up in uh, Class A airspace. And then finally, uh, no operation for compensation or higher. And, you know, that, that last one doesn't really seem to come around much. I mean, I, th- I think the majority of the people we speak with uh, are, are people who are just looking to do this for fun. So that, that doesn't typically end up being a, a problem, don't you think, Gary? And yet yesterday, again... Oh, did I, did I put my foot in my mouth? Not at all. No, no. it's just one of, those, one of those little variants that we're hearing from uh, over the course of the last year. Uh, we had a call from a pilot who asked, I don't know if he was really wanting to do this, but asked if he could tow banners if he's not being compensated for it. Uh, I pointed that one to Jared Allen. My feeling is, uh, from an FAA's perspective, they would probably say, no, you probably don't want to do that because it would be really easy for somebody to try to slip you money if you were towing banners, uh, even if you were flying under basic meds. So probably... Uh, you know, again, this is one of those little soft, squishy areas that we don't have a lot of guidance on yet. But uh, so we're we're being really conservative on everything until we get some 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 hard and fast interpretations from uh, from the FAA. So basically, you have to read that literally. You may not fly for compensation or higher, but don't try to be too creative about it. Because again, most in, in our world. People who are towing banners are probably being compensated for it, and I think that's how the FAA would look at it too. So probably you don't want to you do anything that uh, might attract some FAA attention along the way. Exactly. You know, uh, oftentimes FAA counsel will elect to say that flight time is compensation. So even though there's no money changing hands, you got to fly that aircraft right. on someone right. else's dime, and that could be considered compensation. Uh, not to mention, you know, one of my favorite expressions uh, that that Paul, in our uh, av- in our uh, pilot information center, one of our aviation technical specialists, likes to say, which is, when it comes to this, should I or should I or should I not banner tow? Do you really want to be sitting across the table from an FAA inspector trying to defend your position? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. 
All right. Uh, so let's move on to once I get established with basic med, how do I keep it up? So again, we're not talking about, you know, 6156 flight review or passenger carrying currency or anything. We're talking about I've got basic med signed and the ink is dry and the doctor did the form. I took the course online. Everything's good to go. Uh, but moving forward, what do I have to do? Do you want to, do you want to cover those bullets there? Sure. Um, Remember, basic med is is based on a long existing regulation that um, if you've ever went to our summit or expo prior to our regional shows and, and showed up and got bored with any of my talks, you'd hear, you'd hear me talking a lot about FAR 6153. And probably your flight instructor talks about it and you hear about it in lots of conversations. 6153 is the regulation that we self-assess for every time we get in the airplane. A lot of us will make the argument that a medical certificate is good on the day it was issued and the other 700 and whatever days uh, accounting for the two years that that medical certificate is valid. It's on us as the pilot in command, pilots in command, to make the determination that we're safe to fly, and that's required under FAR 6153. So under basic med, once we get that initial sign-off from our uh, from our state-licensed physician, we are, we are operating with the understanding that we are self-assessing that we are safe to fly for each flight that we get into the airplane. So 6153 has always been an, an awfully important regulation, and under basic med, it is, it is a premier regulation that puts the burden on us to make the decision that we're safe to fly. But the, F, the FAA rule does include some provisions in there that if we, if we try to get too creative and then interpret what what it means to self-assess that we're safe to fly, there are actually some caveats. Uh, we talked about special issuances a little bit. If you, number one, if you have one of the 11 medical conditions, 11 of the 15 medical conditions that carried over from the Part 67 medical certification standards, they fall into three categories, cardiovascular, neurological, and mental health. So you, if you have one of those, one or more of those conditions and you have never gotten a special issuance for those conditions from the FAA, that's caveat number one. You have to be, go out and get a one-time special issuance in order to qualify for basic med. Then you, you still have the burden of, of self-assessing under 6153. So if somewhere down the road, after you've been flying under basic med, you experience another situation where one of those 11 conditions happens to you, your basic med privileges are suspended and you have to go back again to the FAA one time and qualify for another special issuance. So hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody, but unfortunately it does happen to a lot of, a lot of pilots. You know, we're an aging pilot population, so stuff starts to happen uh, once, we, once we start to pile on a few more years. So it's not an unusual, and even though we are only coming up on one year into basic med, uh, as the years go by, we're going to see more and more of these situations come up for people that have qualified for, a, for basic med with a special issuance, and then they have, you know, they have another heart attack or require another stent, they have a stroke, or develop some other condition that's going to require them to go back to the FAA one time. So you got to be aware of that. That's part of the that's part of the self-assessment part of the uh, of the basic med regulations. So it's those eleven medical conditions. And uh, Fer, do you want me to run through those, or you want to you want to 
tackle them yourself. I, I've got the list here. I can hit them real quickly. And, and Go ahead. Just to, just to reiterate, you know, what we're getting at with this list here is, is echoing FAA's perspective that there are certain conditions that causes FAA to, to be concerned for the health and well-being of the pilot. And, and that's where this is coming from. They, want, they just want to make sure that for certain, certain significant situations that you're still uh, uh, healthy to fly. So, <clears throat> as Gary said, the first group is, is mental health uh, and the line items in that area uh, that would require a special issuance include personality distor- disorder, psychosis, bipolar disorder, and substance dependence. The second section is neurological disorders including epilepsy, a disturbance of consciousness without satisfactory explanation, uh, and a transient loss of control of nervous system functions, again, without satisfactory explanation. And then finally, cardiovascular, which is probably, I'm guessing, the most common of the three, uh, given our American diet, uh, cardiovascular conditions including uh, heart attack, uh, coronary heart disease requiring treatment, and that required treatment piece is actually one of the things that uh, we end up having to go down the rabbit hole a bit with members trying to determine if, if treatment uh, was considered. Uh, cardiac valve replacement and, uh, and heart replacement. And then, as Gary said, any of those conditions, uh, if applicable to you, you would need a one-time special issuance, one time. And if uh, any of those conditions uh, change or, or become new uh, as another condition to you, you'd be uh, subject to another subsequent special issuance again, giving FAA another chance to just take a look at you and make sure that despite ordinarily having a condition that could have a, se- a severe impact on your ability to fly, FAA would, is instead satisfied that, uh, that you're still healthy. Is that fair, Gary? Yeah, sure enough. Uh, if I may, I'll touch on a, a couple or maybe several of these things just for, for clarification. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with Part 67, not, it, not that it's something that we would um, have as our bedside reading, but Part 67 includes 15 mandatory conditions that are disqualifying by history. That means if it's ever happened to you even one time, that constitutes a history. And the only way that the FAA can grant you a certification is through the special issuance process. So there are 15 of those, 11 of these transferred over into the basic med world. So let me just touch on uh, one or uh, two or three of them probably. Coronary heart disease that is required treatment. Typically, the FAA has customarily defined treatment as, uh, as revascularization surgery, as in coronary artery bypass graft, grafting or, and or stent placement. Um, if, you're, if you're diagnosed with mild coronary artery disease and your doctor, your cardiologist, put you on a, a, a better diet, says go out and get some exercise, maybe put you on a statin drug. Technically, those are treatments, but they're not, they don't fall into the category of special issuance from a regulatory medicine point of view. And uh, again, FAA does regulatory medicine. That's, that's the world they live in. And we often have to, have to uh, explain to members that call in that, uh, there's a difference between regulatory medicine and clinical medicine, which is the type of medicine that they are, their doctors are, are uh, practicing when they're out there treating disease. So uh, um, that little caveat about the heart disease that's required treatment does have some, have some you know, loopholes, I guess you can call it, as far as what is defined as treatment. On the neurological standards, uh, interestingly, epilepsy is one of the three disqualifiers. 
epilepsy is considered uh, a seizure disorder, um, usually characterized by a second or subsequent seizure. A one-time seizure doesn't necessarily constitute a diagnosis of epilepsy. A one-time seizure is a one-time seizure. And under Part 67, for purposes of medical certification, it's a difficult road to get a medical certificate after a, a single seizure. But with epilepsy, when the second seizure occurs any time in the, in the person's history, then uh, that, that makes it uh, much, more, much more difficult to, to be granted medical certification. And yet, if you have had a single seizure, that doesn't necessarily preclude you from being able to fly safely under basic med. Uh, transient loss of control of nervous system function. Historically, the regulations identified those conditions as a stroke or a transient ischemic attack. A cerebral vascular accident kind of is an umbrella for both of those conditions. And then a disturbance of consciousness without satisfactory explanation. Those are kind of the, the, the more esoteric neurologic conditions that really don't fall into any specific category. But, uh, you know, if you fainted, uh, that could be a considered a, a disturbance of consciousness. But the, the requirement that it be without satisfactory medical explanation is what makes those, those two uh, particular uh, disqualifying conditions a little bit harder to evaluate as far as a, from a regulatory standpoint. Under the mental health uh, disorders, really all three of these, all four of them, well, three of them, personality disorder, by definition, by regulatory, by regulatory definition, it says personality disorder that is severe enough to have repeatedly manifested itself by overt acts. Those are very, those, that's very specific language in the FAR. Uh, psychosis, uh, again, has a definition in Part 67 for regulatory medicine purposes. And then uh, bipolar disorder. Those three conditions are pretty tough to get a medical certificate with a diagnosis of. Now, personality disorder can be something fairly basic, and it's possible to qualify for a medical certificate with that. But psychosis and bipolar disorder really are tough conditions to get a medical certificate. So for somebody that's wanting to go to basic med and has had a diagnosis of particularly bipolar or psychosis, it would be probably pretty difficult to be able to qualify for a medical certificate one time in order to uh, be able to then revert to uh, to basic med. So just, you know, that's the, the reality of the of the world we live in as far as the, the conditions that require that one-time special issuance. So enough on that. All right. Very good. Uh, before we move on to some of the common gotchas, uh, we haven't yet hit the uh, the timing requirements as far as uh, once I'm established under basic med, uh, when do I need to have my next doctor's visit slash checklist filled out? And when do I have to take the, the online course again? So, you want me to? Sure. Yeah, okay. Because uh, it took a while for me to get this straight myself because for medical purposes, medical certification purposes, our medical certificate is good through the calendar month. So it basically expires at the end of the month in which it was issued. For the medical examination for basic med, that is required every 48 months to the day. However, the uh, retaking of the online medical self-assessment course is every 24 calendar months. So you just have to make that distinction. You take the course and you get a little bit of a, a pass on the course because it's based on the calendar month, whereas the 
uh, physical examination that's required at least every 48 months is 48 months to the day. So you got a little extra paperwork to keep track of as far as um, undergoing your repeat basic med exam. Okay, good. And then, of course, you know, if I were to let either of those items expire, the 24 calendar months for the online course or the 48 uh, months to the date for the uh, doctor's visit and the related form, if I go past those deadlines, no harm, no foul. I just do it again. And in the gap between when one of those two things has expired and when I get them reset, I simply can't exercise my privileges. That's correct? Exactly. Exactly right. So basically, you've always had the have the the default to go back to a third class medical certificate if you desire to do that. Uh, the only option you have, if your basic med privileges run out and you don't have a current medical certificate, you could still fly as a sport pilot with a valid driver's license. But uh, uh, as far as meeting the basic med requirements, you got to have one or the other. Or both, and if we get to that point where we can talk about the, the, the possession of simultaneous qualifications and certifications, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. That's got some interesting little slants to it from a legal standpoint as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, it looks like we'll be able to get to that. Uh, the, uh, the other gotcha, we, we talked about the 11 special issuance requirements that can trigger again if another one of those conditions becomes new or different to you as a, as a patient. Uh, one of the other things that I came across recently, a friend of mine went through this process, and uh, looking at the what I call the doctor's form, which is uh, in the advisory circular 68-1A, Appendix A, uh, in the back there's Basic Med Section 3, Medical Examination. And, and this is when we're going back to you uh, mentioning how much this looks like the uh, 8500 or Med Express. But what's interesting is... You've got a list of, of systems and parts of the body, eyes, lungs, heart, vascular system, neurologic, neurologic, psychiatric. And what's really telling here as far as what, you're, what you are and aren't asking your examining physician to do is the only thing on that form for that doctor to fill out is for each of these line items, there's a checkbox which says examined. So uh, what I had overheard from a friend was that they took this form to the doctor, and the doctor elected to take it on themselves to be a little more thorough, and they started writing detailed notes on this form, and that's, that's not appropriate, right? Yeah, that's correct. This is, again, this is not, a, this is not really a pass-fail in the traditional sense of a pass-fail in the way we would think of it as a, an application for a medical certificate. A little... A little piece of information that I actually only found out or remembered a few months ago for all the years that I've been here, uh, Jared Allen reminded me of it initially, and then I was talking with uh, Dr. O'Brien, who's the manager of the certification division out in Oklahoma City, and they both reminded me that the FAA considers an application for a medical certificate issuance is actually an investigation. And for those of us that, you know, have our, our traditional definition of investigation, I was personally taken a little aback by thinking, wow, you know, apply for a medical. The FAA is actually investigating your qualifications to hold that medical certificate. It can be a pretty simple process. If you have a clean application and you're in great health and the AME signs your are medical and you walk out the door with a certificate. But uh, if 
something is on that application that requires additional information when the FAA comes back to the pilot and says, hey, we see that you've uh, noted a history of chest pain on your application. We need additional information. That is considered uh, a legal investigation because the application is, in fact, a legal form, uh, a federal form. So you always want to keep that in mind, too, that when, you, when you're electronically declaring that you have not intentionally uh, misrepresented your medical history or any of the factual information presented on that application for a medical certificate, then uh, you know that, that, that puts it in perspective a little bit. But the examination checklist for basic med is exactly that. It's just it's requiring that the physician doing the exam just did the examination. There's nothing that's going to be sent to the FAA as a result. So basically, if you can satisfy, satisfy the doctor that's doing your basic med exam that uh, through that examination, that uh, there's nothing there that would give the doctor any pause to uh, not be able to sign you off to exercise your privileges or to operate the aircraft, then that's really all it, all it amounts to. That's where we take a little bit of issue with the fact that the form again, I think was done perhaps a little bit hurriedly because, um, again, they took some information off the, exi the existing 8500-8. So even though there are no medical standards per se for basic med, the examination form certainly would leave, lead someone to believe that there were standards, particularly if you look at the uh, item 20, the vision, because underneath the vision item in parentheses, it refers to distant, near, and intermediate vision, field of vision, color vision, and ocular alignment. None of that applies in basic med. Basically, the you know the doctor can hold up five fingers and say, "How many fingers do you see me holding up?" And if that pilot can correctly see five fingers or four, four fingers and a thumb, then that is that's satisfactory for meeting the the basic med qualifications. So. I would personally, and I think there are others of us or, that are in the know on this, would like to see that form amended somewhat so that it better aligns with the expectations of what that, that physical examination is really intended to be. Because it certainly is misleading and it's creating, frankly, it's creating headaches for everybody because we're getting calls from not just from pilots, but from physicians who are wanting to do the basic med exams, and they call and particularly ask about that item, the vision, the vision item on um, on the basic med form. Say, what am I supposed to do? I'm not, you know, I'm not an eye doctor. I don't have a chart. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as far as determining if this applicant is qualified. So it's um, it, it, it's a little bit messy right now, and hopefully down the road the FAA will make some changes to the examination form so it falls into a better alignment with what the real expectation is. Well put. All right, uh, moving on from the, uh, the exam checklist, let's, uh, let's jump to, uh, to the end of our list here. Uh, we've got pilots, you know, we're, we're within the first two-year window here which, uh, of basic med uh, applicability. And the point being, for these first two years, We've got lots of pilots who at some point are likely holding a, a medical that's good for 24 calendar months and they're coming up on their expiration. So, so that one of the common questions we get in that area is, how do I do this? Um, lots of pilots are really excited to move over to basic med and rightly so. But it doesn't necessarily make sense, depending on your situation, uh, 
to just jump into basic med and or hold both a Part 67 third-class medical certificate as well as Part 68 qualification. You know, what, what's your thought there, Gary, as far as which, what's the right way to, to transition? Let's put it that way. Yeah, that, that's a great, a great point. And it's one of the things that we began to identify even as early as, you know, just a few months after basic med went into effect last year. And in, in fact, it was brought to my attention uh, by one of my, one of my buds who's actually a physician uh, for Cami with Cami out in Oklahoma City. So it was an FAA, one of the FAA docs who had made the point that it is possible that once a pilot is operating under basic med qualifications and also has an unexpired Part 67 medical certificate in his or her possession, that unexpired certificate could become a, a, a magnet if, and we always, you know, we always deal with worst case scenarios. We're pretty conservative, but we always try to look at things from, you know, here's the worst that can happen, here's the best that can happen. So let's say somebody operating under basic med uh, is involved in an accident or incident that attracts the FAA's attention, which probably, you know, just about any type of accident would attract the FAA attention to some degree. And during the course of that investigation, there's that naughty little term investigation again, it's uh, uh, it's discovered that the pilot still has an unexpired medical certificate in his or her possession. Even though the pilot was operating legally under basic med, there is the potential that the FAA could go after that unexpired uh, medical certificate as uh, part of a, a, a certificate action if, if the pilot is found to be at fault. Understand, this hasn't happened yet. The FAA has not threatened to take action against this. The advisory circular is very clear that it is perfectly legal to hold both basic med qualifications and an unexpired medical certificate simultaneously. But all of us who are involved in this, including the Federal Air Surgeon's Office and on down, are are, uh, are are asking the question, why would somebody, what is what would someone hope to gain by being basic med qualified and holding a, a, a medical certificate? You can't exercise both of those at the same time. However, we have discovered some scenarios where it actually does sort of make sense. So just keep in mind that we're not saying it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, and hopefully it won't. But if you decide to fly under basic med or go out and get basic med qualified while you still have an unexpired medical certificate, just be aware that, you know, that's a that unexpired certificate is a is a big red flag if uh, the FAA wanted to make it a big red flag. And here's not, a scenario. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. I, I think I know where you're going. Here's a scenario that has just happened, and just in the last few weeks, it's like amazing how how the pilot community starts you know figuring things out, and all of a then they all start calling and asking the same question. So here's the situation: the FAA medical certification group in Oklahoma City is not particularly efficient at processing any deferred application, whether it be for a special issuance or if it just happens to be that uh, for whatever reason the AME just deferred the application inappropriately or whatever. Right now the processing times are running, you know, 90 days, sometimes even more than that. So the question has come up for these pilots particularly the pilots that uh, you know that do fly a lot, and they even though they're they're flying under basic med, 
they use the airplanes for something they're not u- u- really using it for for compensation or hire, but they do use it in the course of their businesses under Part 91. It's perfectly legal. So if they're applying for a special issuance and they know because they've talked to us and we've told them that, hey, you know, once your application goes in, it may be three or four months before you get your medical certificate. They're asking now, well, can I go out and get basic med qualified now and fly under basic med while I'm waiting for the FAA to process my special issuance? Great question, and that's one of those scenarios where it actually, you know, we had to think about it a while, think, you know, that actually that does sort of make sense. Now, obviously, if the FAA comes back and unfortunately issues a denial of that application for special issuance, then those basic med privileges go off the table as well because of the language in the rule, just like with the sport pilot rule that says if your most recent medical application is denied, suspended, revoked, withdrawn, or otherwise not reissued, then you're no longer qualified to exercise your basic med privileges or sport pilot privileges for that matter. So there's there's one example where it actually, you know, there may be some some validity to going the basic med route while you're waiting for your special issuance uh, to uh, to come through. But for anything else, we suggest if you if you're flying under a medical certificate now, let that medical expire and then go out and get basic med qualified, and then you don't have this this issue of this lingering uh, unexpired certificate dangling uh, potentially in your face if the FAA, you know, if something happened and the FAA decided to do something about it. Excellent. Well put. And that's exactly where I wanted to go, which was this uh, situation where, you know, you could uh, have negative consequences if uh, if you have that Part 67 medical certificate suspended, denied, or revoked. It does also impact your ability. It does uh, prevent you from working under part 68 basic med as well so that is a that is a gotcha <laughs> yeah it's, it's high stakes and you know we again i've been doing this for a long time and i've always said that especially for professional pilots flying airplanes for a living is probably the riskiest profession there is from a job security standpoint because you really are at the mercy of the of the bureaucracy who might determine that you're no longer medically qualified so that's one of the the beautiful things about basic med that we've really taken a bite out of the the federal bureaucracy and put the decision-making process back on us as the pilots who in concert with our treating physicians can help us make a you know an appropriate and rational decision about you know are we really safe to fly and that's everybody's goal that's uh, the whole objective here so hopefully that will um, that will be the continue to be the case and we'll be able to demonstrate over the years, many years, hopefully, that basic med is in existence, that uh, that we can continue to safely operate in the national airspace system without the degree of medical oversight that's currently required for operations that require a medical certificate. Right. And despite the fact that we've hit some of the gotchas that, frankly, might scare people off from basic med, uh, depending on your, your medical condition, uh, there are there are upsides. And, and one of the classics in my mind is... Uh, an airman who uh, has some sort of uh, cardiovascular issue where they have to perform uh, a treadmill stress test every year as right. part of their continuing special issuance and, and information required to be provided every year. Well, what happens within those three months between when the data is submitted and uh, and the reauthorization? You know, that th- there are airmen who could be down for three months out of every year uh, under under ordinary Part 67 medical certification, and and I think that's one of the obvious ways where basic med, uh, because you're working with your treating physician and your condition is is 
you know, continuously under scrutiny between your doctor and your uh, self-certification that uh, it could restore you back to actually being able to fly every day of the year. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And to the FAA's credit, they have a they do have really a, a tough job, and their their job has gotten tougher in the last few years because we see some of the a lot of the same cases that that they see. Just you know, obviously we see a fraction of what they process and at the certification division, but pilots are living longer. Um, they're generally pretty healthy as we get older, but we still have more and mo- more medical pathology called comorbidities. We have um, pilots with diabetes uh, who have sleep apnea, who have coronary artery disease, who have renal disease. So the FAA is having to review more and more of these really, really complex medical cases. And and, and it would be so, it would be easy for the FAA just to you know, look at somebody's records and say, oh, this doesn't qualify, just rubber stamp them as denied. But that's not how they operate. They, they're doing their best to get as many pilots medically qualified as they can. But it's a slow, complicated process because of what they have to do to make that certification decision. And unfortunately, uh, in the process of, of, of going through and reviewing those cases, it takes a long time. And sometimes those cases end up going out to consultants. Sometimes they end up being sent to Washington uh, if they're really, really difficult cases. So pilots get really frustrated and, uh, and will continue to be frustrated by the, the time it takes to get a certification decision back from the FAA. So, you know, if you're in a position where you can legally uh, and operationally avoid that altogether by going to basic med, it's really a no-brainer. I mean, there's some of these you know, members call us and ask questions, you know, should I do basic med? And really, it's it really is a no-brainer. I mean, if, they, if they're qualified for it, they're flying an airplane that, that meets the requirements, absolutely, we would recommend probably 99 times out of 100 that the pilot just go to basic med, especially if they're paying out-of-pocket for a special issuance, because a lot of times they have to they have to do testing every year, and a lot of times their insurance isn't going to pick up an annual treadmill test or an echocardiogram or an MRI or other imaging studies. So a lot of pilots are paying thousands of dollars out of pocket every year to maintain a medical certificate, and they're flying on average like 60 hours a year. So it, it, it becomes an enormous uh, financial burden for a lot of pilots to be able to maintain their special issuance. So, again, basic med is a, is a great conduit to get them out from under that. All right, Gary, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking this time to educate our members on basic med and provide an update. Hey, glad to do it. Glad to do it. That's what we're there for. So um, certainly if you all have questions, be sure to give us a call. Uh, Don't assume anything. Call in and check with us first and uh, let us get you started on the right track before you go off on the the wrong track and uh, end up applying for a medical when you thought you were applying for basic med. Right, right. All right, great. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us here today as well. If uh, you have any questions as part of your membership, you can contact our Pilot Information Center staff Monday through Friday at 800-USA-AOPA. That's 800-872-2672. And you can also email your questions to us again at pilotassist at aopa.org. Also, don't forget to check out the AOPA website for a variety of resources at www.aopa.org including the Basic Med section, which you can find by clicking on the Basic Med button in the very top bar of the website. All right, Gary, thanks, and uh, thanks to our listeners. We'll see you next time. Take care. Fly safe.